All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather this evening, and I thank you for those that are gathering with us online, uh, those that will join later, those that will join via the podcast. And uh, I just pray that uh, you'll open your word to us, you'll open our hearts to your word, um, that we will allow your word to direct us rather than our opinions, rather than our friends, rather than our political positions. And uh, as the result, we will see a, a, a different world. Uh, certainly we'll see a different world in our families and in our lives. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so both of the Corinthian later letters are written as the result of trouble, difficulty, challenges that are going on in Corinth. So here's this very, very wealthy city, uh, very worldly people. The Apostle Paul comes in and brings the gospel and numbers of them come to Christ. He's there for a year and a half sharing the gospel with them. But pretty much as soon as he leaves, other people come in and there were uh, teachers, not just religious teachers, but philosophical teachers and so forth that would uh, travel around and, you know, people didn't, there wasn't public education like we have now. So people that were interested in knowledge, they were interested in education, uh, they had a little money and there was plenty of money in Corinth. Uh, these people were business people, they had a lot of means. And uh, so when the Apostle Paul left, there were others that came in and started you know, teaching other things. There was division within the church. They were used to aligning with a particular teacher. That was what they did, right? So we know this from Greek philosophy. You have the Pythagoreans, right? The Pythagorean theorem. See, this is all about math to us, but this was identification for them. This was their philosophy. This was their position. And you had philosophical schools. You had the, um, the, the hedonists. Uh, you had uh, the, the Stoics, right? In fact, the Apostle Paul spoke to the Epicureans. These were the hedonists. And he spoke to the Stoics on Mars Hill in Athens. And he brought Jesus to them. So here he is in this very cosmopolitan city. He's bringing Christ to them. He shared the gospel with them. He's there for 18 months. He leaves and they degenerate into just very, very selfish, what he called fleshly, very common word to Paul uh, in the New Testament. It's the Greek word sarks. Remember that word because there's a, there's a couple of related words that we're gonna look at today, sarks, the flesh. Now that doesn't mean your skin. Okay, so there was a school of philosophy, um, a Neoplatonic school. That means that it was based on Plato's original dichotomy between mind and body, right? But they kind of went a lot further and they, they had sort of a religious uh, cast to it and they were called Gnostics. You've heard me refer to them. Um, that was kind of brought back to popular culture when Dan Brown released that book, The Da Vinci Code, back in the early 2000s, and you know stated categorically, you know these are, you know these are historical facts and these are real places, and it was malarkey. It, it's a novel, right? And so he was kind of seeking to promote Gnosticism so that he could push away Orthodox Christianity and set up a, a really kind of a new way of looking at Christianity, um, tell a new story, a new narrative, if you will. And uh, so I, though, yeah, I'm mentioning this now and it's, you know, it's been some years since then, but I, it was unbelievable to me the number of people that were buying into that at the time that were reading that book. Oh, did you hear? And uh, I, 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 my goodness, I, do you know what a novel is? You know a novel's fiction, right? And it doesn't matter if the novelist says these places are all dotted. In fact, I remember at the time there's a there's a uh, an Anglican bishop named N.T. Wright. Uh, he's no longer an Anglican bishop. He's he's an author. Uh, he's a brilliant scholar, but uh, he had an office in one of the buildings that Dan Brown referred to in this book, and he said nothing that he said is there. 
he's in the building. And this guy that's written this novel and says this is all history hasn't even bothered to go and validate whether any of the things that he's, he doesn't care. He's just telling a story, right? But that's essentially what we have. So Gnosticism was not tremendously popular in Paul's era, but in the generations after Paul, it was. I'm mentioning it because there were all sorts of schools of thought that were coming in and seeking to supplant Christianity, and we see that today, right? Even within Christian churches, um, you see a variety of different schools of thought, and people, rather than follow Jesus, take on that school of thought. Well, that's what these people were doing. They were saying, I follow Paul. Well, he's the one that brought the gospel to them. I follow Apollos. Well, he was a teacher, a biblical teacher, uh, who had come to help them out. Um, I follow Cephas, right? So this is Peter. Um, and uh, he had quite some standing in the early church as well. Um, or I follow Christ. Well, we would all like to say we follow Christ, obviously. Um, but even today, you have people who will say, well, no, we're just Christians. That's all we are. Well, that's Church of Christ. But they're not just Christians. They have their own view about theology and salvation and doctrine and so forth. So you can, even those that say, I just follow Christ, still have their own way of looking at things and their own way of looking at Jesus. In fact, within the Pentecostal church, um, there is a, a movement, if you will, uh, and they like, to, they like to say, well, we're, it's just Jesus, right? We're not going to worry about the Father, the Son, the Spirit, Trinity. It's just Jesus. In our era, it's just, well, this is an ancient heresy, actually, in spite of the fact that it sounds really good. Um, this heresy is called modalism or monarchian modalism, which says that, uh, you know, God was Father in the Old Testament. This is the way they did it anyway. And then became the Son on earth, right? And then once the sun rose from the dead, then became the spirit. Now, I haven't delved deeply enough into this uh, just Jesus movement, or, or, or they will say Jesus only. I think that's really the name of the, the Jesus only movement. Um, the Pentecostal church is right up here on Beltline is that type of church, right? There's no father, there's no son, it's just Jesus. And that sounds very, okay, well, let's just do that. That's very simple, except that you really have a difficult time squaring that with Scripture, right? And uh, in any event, I don't want to bring all of those things into our discussion tonight so much as to provide an introduction that helps you to understand that what the Apostle Paul was dealing with is what, dealing with is what we're dealing with. People have a variety of different views on things. Where do they get that view? You know, I've taught people for generations, literally now. I, I mean, I've been, I've been in Garland since 1992, so coming up on 30 years next year. So I've taught multiple generations of people here. And some of those people have just gone a different direction. And, you know, and then prior to that, I was in the colony. And I had teenagers that were there, and some of them have just gone a completely different direction. They're not following um, apostolic Christianity anymore, orthodox Christianity anymore. They have all sorts of other ideas. Where do those ideas come from? They didn't come from the Bible. I think sometimes uh, we invent things. You what? I think we invent things sometimes within our minds. Yeah, to a degree, but I think people, people attach themselves they attach themselves to ideas. Yeah, and they think, oh, that's got to be it. Well, I'm going to Right. Or they'll take one verse. Hmm? They'll take one verse. And build. Right. All theology around it. Yeah. So I just keep pointing you to the scripture and keep leading you guys the same direction. And, you know, by and large, the, the people that have stuck around in our church are seeking to follow the word. And, you know, their, their thinking is orthodox. Even if our political views diverge at times, we're, we're still coming back to the scripture, and that's what I hope that we can do. Um, the real issue is, can we agree to disagree? Can we look at issues that 
have over time had different views and discuss those issues without dividing from one another. So you can be very different than someone else. Your view can be very different than theirs, but you can still have a, uh, a good relationship with them. You can still have discussions with them. And in the process of those discussions, you can find that you grow, right? Your thinking doesn't have to be thrown off track. You can, you can grow. And, you know, that's uh, the discussions that I used to have uh, with your husband, Bill. You know, there was, it forced me to go and, uh, I got to go look this up. You know, I, I've got to go work through this. And this, you know, with Bill, it wasn't a matter of, okay, here, I'm going to come back with some Bible verses because that wouldn't work. So this had to be, you know, me studying uh, science and studying, you know, the origins of the universe and these sorts of things. And this, you know, that resulted in me having a lot of a apologetic background, you know. He was searching. Huh? He was No, no, he was never. They said you either believe in God or Christ or you don't. And that's the only choice you got. Bill said, no, there's a third. He said, you're searching and you want to know. He, he was, see, I can have a conversation with anybody that's respectful. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that they're not intense. Yeah. Right? When you, when you really believe something or you're really interested even in something, you can get very intense, but it's this very disrespectful um, atmosphere that we have today. This is, and I've mentioned this n several times now, but this is why I don't get in debates online anymore. I just don't. Nobody knows how to have a reasonable, respectful discussion about anything anymore. It's how dare you? How can you? You're you're a fool, you're a moron, you don't know what you're talking about. Translation, I don't agree with you. And so, you know, this has been through the pandemic. I mean, I have fewer Facebook friends as the result of the pandemic. I think some of it's too, like they want you to join their pity parties because they're in a bad mood, they're gonna make you in a bad mood too. And sure. Right. And after about five times, they said again, that's not your call. And she backed off. And yeah. she said, we can't discuss this. And I said, that's okay. Everybody, see, this is, this. She wanted to make the call. This, this betrays uh, people's perspective on truth. You see, this very subjective idea of truth, your truth, my truth, requires everybody to agree yeah. on a narrative that has no basis in fact or even reality. And I, I, you know, I think you can just evaluate a lot of the things that are going on in our world and say, all I have to do is look at you as a physical being and look at your DNA, look at every cell in your body. And if your confession or your profession or your identification is opposite that, that then we're talking about a psychological difficulty, yeah. right? A, a removal from reality. Well, I identify as this, I identify as that. And that's just one area. You know, we can't have these discussions that, you know, where someone says, well, this is a, it's science. It's pretty much science that if you have an X and a Y chromosome, you're a male. It doesn't really matter how you feel. In fact, it's absolutely irrelevant. That's genetically in you. And no matter how many chemicals you take or surgeries you have, and no matter how many millions of people agree with you, science does not agree with you. So we can be compassionate. We can be concerned. Um, but, you know, the reality, and this, is, this has been, you know, the basis of, 
of why I've done what I've done throughout the pandemic. I just, I look at what really seems to be the actual science, not the political science behind it. But we can't have these discussions because everything is emotionally charged. And so, well, believe it or not, that's all valid for our text here because we can either handle things as spiritual people, as people that care about others, that are compassionate, that are sensitive, and still hold to the truth, still hold to reality, still say this is actually science, right? Science is a, a means of, of gaining knowledge, okay? It's not a religion, it's not a cult. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I just follow science. Okay, science is a means of understanding or, or gaining information and knowledge but it's, it requires wisdom to know how to apply that, right? So you're not telling me anything when you say I follow science. And when you say I follow science, but you really don't follow science, then I don't have any respect for that statement. You have to say which science? <laughs> so here, the Apostle Paul, so we've come to where the Apostle Paul said, you know, um, we're not following the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom that is from God. And I would like to share this wisdom with you, but you're not really ready. So here it is, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, and you know, every trans modern translation is going to say brothers and sisters. Um, we understand that Paul is embracing both genders. This isn't an effort to be patriarchal. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh or of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Well, excuse me. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So, Paul called the Corinthians who were disputing and dividing people of flesh. That means people who were constituted by the flesh, right? The flesh not meaning your skin, right? I didn't finish my discussion about Gnosticism and Neoplatonism. They really believed there was a hard separation, a dichotomy between the mind and the body, and they thought the body was evil. And this is not what the Apostle Paul is seeking to say. When he's saying the flesh, he's talking about the natural person who is cut off from God. In other words, those of us that are still unsaved, still subject to the fall, right? Um, so this corresponds to his teaching in chapter two regarding the natural versus the spiritual, natural versus spiritual people, right? fleshly or carnal. So there's three words you can use that are synonyms. Fleshly, carnal, worldly, unspiritual. Those are all synonyms that you could, you could put in there, right? The natural, meaning someone who is of this world that has not been reborn of the spirit, right? So, now he's explaining why he hasn't taught them much or any of the secret wisdom of God that he spoke of in verse seven of chapter two. When we first come to Christ, we're infants. That's just the way it is, right? Um, and infants in the faith require spiritual milk. Milk is what? How many stomachs does a cow have? That's a lot. The milk is, the food is digested and redigested and redigested before it becomes something that the that the baby cow can eat. All right. So that's milk. Milk is predigested for babies, but food, especially meat, has to be killed, cooked sliced, chewed, 
digested, and that's a process that takes time. That's what I'm hoping to encourage you to do here. So, you know, I'll give you some milk here, but if you're bored, it's because you don't want to eat. You know, you still want milk. Or maybe, you know, you want a little Gerber baby food and some smashed up carrots or something, you know. <laughs> or strained peas. I don't know how babies eat that. That's rough. That, that mushy pea stuff, that's rough. Just regular peas are terrible. I'm sorry. They're mushy. I can't do those. And I like vegetables. You like peas? I can like, I can like peas if they're a little crunchy. Like I can even like peas if they're not all the way cooked and they're in a salad. But just mushy peas in a pot? No, I can't do that. It's like, I can't do it. So what happens when a baby's hungry? They cry, right? And so they need to be fed immediately. The baby doesn't have the ability and it doesn't have the foresight to cook and eat food. You have to feed that to the baby, right? They can't feed themselves. Well, a mature adult has to do that for them. So week after week, we preachers study and we pre-digest milk for people who will attend Sunday church. And maybe we try to sneak a little solid food in too, but sadly, too many Christians will not feed themselves. In fact, many don't even wanna be fed either regularly or immediately. They, they're malnourished. Don't even realize they're malnourished. They're starving for the word, but they'd rather eat the world's junk food or cotton candy served by entertaining celebrity preachers who tell them what their itching ears wanna hear. That comes from a text, by the way, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate, that means that they will add to them they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, their own desires, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I have seen this again and again and again and again. We have people that come to church and you, you see them listening to the word and it's just like, this is just over my head and I just can't deal with this and they don't come back it's not entertaining enough or it's not um, digested enough for them, right? Or it's too challenging. And tell people what they don't want to hear is difficult. I think the bottom thing is they just don't want to learn. They don't want to grow. They're not interested. They don't want to take the effort. Yeah. Well, yeah. Milk. Learning is work, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. I, <laughs> I put my degrees up on the wall and because uh, they've been in, my Baylor degree has been in the tube since 1985. That's 36 years it's been wow. sitting there. <laughs> You're old too, huh? <laughs> 36 years. Now that's not to say I never took it out. I took it out a couple of times, but literally probably less than a handful of times over the last 36 years. And so now it's in a frame. I had to like sit, I, I have a, a heavier computer. This is a 2015 computer. I have a MacBook Pro from 2009. It's a 17-inch. It's really heavy. And so I unrolled the degree and put it on a towel and set that on the top of it to sort of smooth it out. And it still didn't want to smooth out. So it looks pretty rough up there. And uh, my, now my degree from Southwestern Seminary, my Master of Divinity degree, uh, was in a, a folder, a presentation folder, and it had like a piece of plastic over it. And it actually looks a lot better. It was never rolled up or anything like that. So uh, it still looks pretty new. It was, yeah, it was easy to put in there. But then uh, Rachel, Miss Wilson said, Mrs. Wilson uh, said, time for the third one. So I have over the years looked into uh, pursuing a doctorate. And if I thought it would make this church grow, I would be all over it. I just, what if you just enjoy doing it? Huh? What if you just enjoy doing it? That's the issue. I'm not sure that I would anymore. <laughs> I don't want a doctor. 
as I said, as I said, that was the point of this actual little uh, diatribe here is that um, education is just work. It's a lot of work. And so I want to learn. I still want to learn. What I don't want to do is jump through all those hoops anymore. So I read these, you got to do this, 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 you got to do this. You know, I don't got to do any of that. I got to do that so that you will say that I've done, no, I'm good. I can keep learning and growing. I just don't have a piece of paper and, you know, a nifty little hat that says that, you know, I've got a doctor's degree. But one way or the other, it's work. And learning and you know, having to go through that process of questioning your ideas and your opinions. And yeah, that's, it's challenging for us. It's difficult for us, right? Um, so there are, uh, you know, plenty of options for us to, to do that on our own, right? So people gather these teachers around them because they just, they don't want to learn they just want to validate their opinions. They want to feel good about themselves. So let's look at it this way. A myth that says here that they will suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. A myth is a grand narrative, a story told to convey a message or a worldview. Um, so, you know, we, we know mythology, right? probably you studied Greek and Roman mythology when you were in school, maybe Nordic mythology. Um, Lord of the Rings is a grand myth that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote. I mean, he's a brilliant guy, uh, is a scholar of the highest level, created his own language for this thing. I mean, this, this intricate story, in fact, if you read all the background material that he had, it's just yeah, I, I just think, did you think of anything else besides this? Because it's so involved. There's so much to it. And it's a complete fantasy world. Complete fantasy world, right? But it does, uh, it does give a, a strong impression of the battle between good and evil, right? Um, so these grand myths are in cultures and uh, they are a way of, of solidifying those cultural beliefs, right? Um, we retell stories to each other to reinforce our cherished beliefs about various issues. That's all we want to do today. So there's very little critical thinking today in spite of the ironically named critical theories being propagated in our world, like, um, well, they're collectively called critical social justice by Dr. Vadi Bokum. Um, the gospel hasn't changed in 2000 years. Now it is a grand story as well, but it is what C.S. Lewis liked to call a, um, a historical myth. In other words, it's a grand story, but it actually happened, right? It's not just a story to be told. So the gospel hasn't changed, um, even though many have sought to silence its proclamation throughout 2000 years, starting at the very beginning, right? Um, it is a true myth. It is based in reality. It's based in fact. It is a grand story, but it actually happened. Now you can come up with a story or, you know, a, a series of narratives like Lord of the Rings that never happened. And they may convey some truths, but it's going to break down because it doesn't have a basis in God's truth, right? In reality. Um, the writer to the Hebrews addressed, addressed the same issue of spiritual maturity, moving away from myths now back to this idea of spiritual maturity. Um, the writer of the Hebrews said this, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I am constantly trying to get you into the word. That's what I want you to do. 
Now, I, I don't want you to feel like you have to do it on your own by yourself. We're here, right? I'm here to equip you. But you need to get into the Word. It needs to become your relationship with God. And you need to hear from Him. And you need to take these principles and these ideas that you're learning in our church. And you need to apply those as you study the Scripture, right? So the writer of the Hebrews here is equating maturity with three things. Teaching about righteousness, practice, and training to distinguish good from evil. Since wisdom is practical and not merely esoteric, that means just something we talk about and discuss in you know, very high-sounding, highfalutin terms. But it, it should stand to reason that Paul's secret wisdom is aligned with this teaching, right? Which says, this teaching about righteousness, solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So it's not just your truth and my truth, your morality and my morality. We're accessing God's design for human interaction, right? And for uh, morality, if you will. When we're young adults, at least the mature and good young adults, um, teach us how we should behave, right? So when we're young, adults teach us how we're to behave. Parents, teachers, and coaches tell us what to do and what not to do. Kids who have not been taught, this is what I, I said on Sunday, your conscience is merely a guide for right and wrong. It's a basis for right and wrong, but it can be overwritten. You can teach people to hate other people and think that that's right. And as I mentioned on Sunday, that, that is what has happened in many places in, you know, uh, those that are so accepting of these, pal uh, these uh, of Hamas among the Palestinians have been taught to hate the Jews. And there are extreme right-wing Jews who have been taught to hate all Arabs from the time they're young. They're just taught to hate. You see these, uh, these children that are taught to carry automatic weapons, right? Children that are, you know, being told by adults that they need to sacrifice themselves as suicide bombers and so forth. It's monstrous. The kid doesn't know any better. They think that's right. That's what they've been taught. We're taught right from wrong when we're young. This is, this is how our country has been spun around, as it has. And this is why Older people are opposed to certain things that younger people now find perfectly acceptable because this is how they've been taught. They do have a conscience, but that conscience has been overwritten, right? Um, so then when we become parents, teachers, preachers, and coaches, then we need to have the right morals to pass on to our children and teach them about what they should how they should live, what they should do, the way they should speak, and so forth, right? Um, but eventually, all of us get to the place where we evaluate what we've been taught and we become responsible for it. So I'm not trying to excuse everyone and make them a victim by saying, well, you know, here's someone that has just always been taught that Jews are evil, so of course they're going to want to fire rockets into Israel and kill Jews. No, you come to a point where you have to apply critical wisdom and reason to this, right? Because there's something that's deeper there that God has put in there that should be teaching me, you can't really treat people like that. You can't just say that innocent people are the same as those who are perpetrating evil. So this is, this, is, this is what's behind the discussion that I had earlier. Uh, if, you, if you fail to have compassion for those that are trying to cross our borders and come in to get a better life, especially children, even if we continue to say, well, yes, we need to have borders and we need to have laws and we need to have a, you know, a way to come in that is legal, 
that doesn't mean that I'm going to fail to have compassion for people that want to come in and have a better life, right? Um, I'm not going to say, you know, I support Israel. Kill them Palestinians. God doesn't see the difference, right? He loves people. He loves Israelis. He loves Palestinians. And Palestinians, it's just what they started calling themselves in the 40s. They're Arabs that lived in that area, okay? You know, he loves all of these people and all of these people need Jesus. And that's what we need to, to be about. See, you start evaluating this on a different level. And this is why I'm saying when you follow Jesus, you're, you're going you're gonna to have a hard time just falling completely into a tribe, right? You know, got the Trump tribe over here. You got this more moderate Republican tribe over here. You know, they just, uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, Cheney, it's Dick Cheney's daughter, whatever her name was, is. Um, she criticized Trump. And so heaven forbid, you know, she's the, so, you know, it's, it's no, I'm in this tribe. And so it, it makes it easy for you to decide. You don't have to be critical. Somebody else has made all the decisions. They've already said, you know, get rid of all them illegal immigrants, right? Uh, or no, they don't even call them immigrants, do they? They call them illegal aliens. Right? Illegal aliens. And then the other side is, well, they're just undocumented immigrants. You so, so we're, we're, you know, we're aligning with politics rather than elevating ourselves above that and saying, no, these are people. These are human beings and they are deserving of being treated with courtesy and kindness. And yeah, we need to follow the law and we need to have borders, but we also need to have an orderly and reasonable process for assimilating into this country. Because this country has always been comprised, with the exception of Native Americans, it's been comprised of immigrants, that we're a country of immigrants. And I'm looking here in this room, none of us look Native American. So we all came in from somewhere at some point, right? Um, now I have, I have relatives that came in way back. You know, the halls on, on that side, they came in way back, like way, way back. We're talking almost Mayflower back, right? But see, then I also have a relative. His name was James McHenry Shepherd. He was Scotch-Irish. And he came over as a stowaway on a ship from Ireland. You can't even find his name on any of the records because he entered this country illegally at like age 14, 15 years old. Yeah, we're all hybrids. So let's all just get over ourselves and thinking that we've got all these rights. You know, what we have is we have grace from God and that's what we need to look at. So I'm applying something here in a way that I hope will help you to say, okay, what have I been taught? Why am I just following that without thinking about it, without evaluating it, right? So as we grow, we learn why the rules that we've been taught have been made. Why were those rules made? We learn the intent behind the rule, the underlying principle upon which it was based. We incorporate then those principles into our lives, making precepts. Do you know what a precept is? That's your life rule. That's what we need to gain from Scripture, glean from Scripture, right? We make these precepts for ourselves and for our families to create a healthy and righteous lifestyle. Well, for the immature, there's always the Ten Commandments. This is why I started teaching the Ten Commandments years back, because it's no longer in the culture. And people think that they can just do whatever they want to do. The Apostle Paul taught that the law is for the lawless. That's his statement in 1 Timothy 1.9. It's not for the mature who walk in surrender to the Holy Spirit. Christ has higher expectations for his followers, which he elaborated in the Sermon on the Mount. So in other words, it's not enough just to refuse to murder. We must eschew anger toward the other person. It's not enough to just avoid adultery, which means that all I got to do is worry about whether or not I'm married or whether I'm not, I'm going after someone else's married spouse. No, we must learn not to lust after another person's spouse. 
refusing thoughts of a sexual nature directed toward anyone other than one's own opposite sex spouse. So learning how to apply this and control oneself requires training, practice, and wisdom. And that's what you and I need to do, right? So um, I'm just going to mention this because I'm out of time. But uh, there was a, a psychologist, an author named Lawrence Kohlberg, K-O-H-L-B-E-R-G, who laid out uh, moral reasoning. And he had three major categories of moral reasoning. He had the pre-conventional, which is just based on pretty much obedience and punishment. This is what you teach little kids, right? Stop! So the only reason that they're obeying you is because they don't get swatted on the hand, all right? Then you get to conventional, and this is where they really seek a reward. That's, that's a good boy. Here's a reward for that, right? And you want them to understand law and order. This is where they learn the Ten Commandments, right? And so you don't teach kids to think about why this is right or why this is wrong. They just need to learn right and wrong. But then you get to what he called post-conventional, the post-conventional phase. And this is when I start having my own principled conscience. That's the point that I've just been discussing, where we have our own precepts. Now, they shouldn't be divergent from, in fact, this is what Jesus was doing when he was applying the Ten Commandments and saying the things that I just said. It's not enough to just say, well, I'm not murdering anybody. I haven't killed anybody. I must be, I must be going to heaven. And Jesus said, no, it's, it's about what's in your heart and your attitude toward other people, because sometimes the only thing keeping you from murder is opportunity or maybe means, but you got motive. That's what Jesus is saying. It's the motive that matters, right? So you can look into Colbert. He says, I fed you with milk. That is the apostle Paul. I fed you with milk, not solid food for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for you are still of the flesh. You're still fleshly. So Paul says that he has to talk to the Corinthians like those that are made of flesh, even though he's indicated previously, and this is in chapter one, he said he had confidence that they're spiritually gifted. But now he's saying, I fed you in the past with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it back then. And even now, two years later, you're not ready, for you were still of the flesh, right? So this is very, very interesting. Um, the word translated people of flesh in ESV is carnal in NKJV and worldly in the 1984 uh, NIV. It's the Greek word. Remember what I said the Greek word for flesh was? Sarks. Sarks. So this, this word that is translated people of flesh or people, yeah, uh, fleshy fleshly, um, is sarkinos, sarkinos. And it refers to someone who belongs to the physical or material. They belong to the physical or material world. Thus, they're just made of natural stuff. In other words, this is somebody who has not been reborn or who has yet to fully embrace having been reborn, right? Um, they're merely human. Now, in verse three, Paul speaks to them in the present, and he says, even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Now, ESV makes no distinction, and some commentators think there isn't one, but the word used for flesh here is different. It's the word sarkikos. The other word was sarkinos. That means you belong to the physical world. You belong to the natural world right? Sarkikos refers to someone who acts or behaves according to the flesh. That is, they're merely human and they're following the fallen nature as opposed to one who is made of flesh and has no choice over the matter. Oh, right? So this is, this is someone who is capable of walking in the spirit but they've still chosen to act as if they're a person of flesh, 
to hearken back to the way they were before they received the gospel and still act the same. This is the majority of Christians, to be quite honest with you, right? Um, scholar Marion Swords of the New International Biblical Commentary observes the following. He, that is, uh, Paul refers to the Corinthians with the Greek word sarkinoi, which means made of flesh, implying that they give the appearance of belonging to this age rather than to the spirit. In 3.3, Paul alters this language slightly, though the NIV repeats worldly, as he labels the Corinthians with the word sarkikoi, which means having the character of flesh, a term with ethical implications. Paul's language here highlights that the Corinthians were of the world rather than of the spirit, whereas in 3.3, he indicates that they behave in a worldly fashion that does not conform to the activity of the Spirit. One should note in both instances that Paul has not denied the presence of the Spirit entirely as he had earlier in 2.14 when he wrote the man without the Spirit by using the Greek word psukikos. Then scholar Leon Morris of the Tyndale New Testament Commentary affirms this distinction between the two words sarkinos and sarkikos in his comment on verse uh, three. Paul gets to the root of the matter with his accusation that they are still worldly. He has changed his word for worldly from sarkinos, verse one, to sarkikos. The inos termination means made of, thus tablets made of stone are lithinos, and they're contrasted with those made of flesh, sarkinos. The ikos ending rather means characterized by, we see it in psukikos, of the natural man, and pneumatikos, of the spiritual man. The difference between sarkinos and sarkikos is like that between fleshy and fleshly. Fleshly, excuse me, yes, fleshly, uh, let's back up. Fleshy, and you cannot help it. Fleshly, and you can but do not help it. Does that make sense? Have I confused you? It's really, really different. It's the difference between a baby and let's say an 11 or 12 year old child. Okay. When a baby cries, they're being very selfish. They're waking you up in the middle of the night. They're pooping in their pants for crying out loud. Well, that's awfully selfish. That's awfully self-centered, isn't it? They can't do anything else. That's what they are. And we know that. And parents that don't are morally corrupt and dangerous and need to have their kids taken from them. Okay? But unless there is a serious psychological problem, and they're, they're, this does happen, um, your 11-year-old shouldn't still be pooping his pants. Or crying all night, waking up. <laughs> or crying in the middle of the night, waking you up, right? Or, you know, Regularly. screaming, feed me, feed me, feed me, when you've taught them, there's food in the refrigerator. You're hungry, go eat. We're, dinner's at six or whatever. So now that child knows better and can do something else, but do they choose to do something else? So there is a psychological issue. Uh, it's called uh, being encopritic. And children that are older that should have been potty trained, and I'm talking at children eight, nine, 10, 11, are still using the bathroom in their pants. Now there's a complex array of reasons for this, but part of the reason for that, for some kids, could be a, it is a way of kind of fighting back, getting back at the adults, not wanting to follow rules and so forth. Um, this is not a broad statement about all children that are incapritic or enuritic, meaning they're still wetting their pants uh, at an older age. Um, we would not have a problem with a baby who is using a diaper. We have reason to want to treat a child and understand what's wrong if they're still doing that at 11. 
Does that make sense? This is the difference between being made of excuse me, made of flesh and someone who is acting in accordance with the flesh. And that's what we're being told here by the Apostle Paul that we need to escape, right? So I'm going to conclude with this. We're supposed to be spiritual people, not fleshy or fleshly or carnal or worldly people. And this is contrasted when the Apostle Paul addresses um, the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. This is Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, we who belong to Christ are not comprised of flesh alone. Indeed, most of those listening are likely believers, those here, those here, likely believers, right? Um, we're in the Spirit because the Spirit of God dwells in us. That's Romans 8, 9. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to him. So our problem, friends, is that we are worldly or fleshly or carnal. We have access to the Spirit, but we choose to set our minds on the flesh too often and not on the Spirit. The Spirit gives life Flesh profits nothing. That's what the Apostle Paul said in John 6, 63. We're not doing Christianity on our own. And too much of the time, that's what causes us the problem. We're striving to do God's will with our own resources, filled with contention and strife toward our brothers and our neighbors. And this is unproductive. It is unpleasant and it is immature. And God has a better plan for all of us. Amen? Amen. So... We need to become spiritual people. Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Good opportunity for us to evaluate that as uh, my intent is to preach from Acts chapter 2. So, I hope you're here. I hope you're here. Or you join us online.